If you've ever had a desire to want to build a REIT, we're talking real estate investment trusts in the next two episodes of the podcast. Let's go! Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey, gang, how's it going? Russell Westcott here. So, woo! I'm having a wonderful day. I don't know about you. Just fired up. I just finished having a wonderful conversation with uh, Steve Sims. Now, for some of you, you might not know who the name is. If any of you have read the book Blue Fishing, and some of you might be going, Russ, uh, is this podcast taking a, a turn into uh, into um, uh, offshore fishing and we're going uh, fishing? No, Blue Fishing is a wonderful, wonderful book. I highly encourage it. If you follow along on my social media channels, you maybe have seen me tweet about it or, or share about it as well. Steve Sims is the author of Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. And he's also the author of a brand new book that's just coming out. It's called for Go for Stupid, The Art of Achieving Ridiculous Goals. So I had a wonderful conversation with Steve. You know, I wish it could have been longer. Uh, I was very grateful and honored to have him for 45 minutes uh, on the podcast. And uh, we covered an awful lot of uh, details. Now, gang, I'm just telling you that now this that episode will air at a later date. Like I said, Steve is launching his next book. And uh, we wanted to kind of time all the episodes of that coming. So that was just recorded today to go out in probably in mid-October. So I think it was October 18th, but we're kind of timing all the activity of all going at the same time. So fantastic interview. And and by all means, stick stick around for that. I've, I've got a lot of really cool guests that are upcoming. You know, authors, professional real estate investors, developers, people that are buying multifamily properties, people that are scaling it, people that are buying their first property. And I'm actually, you know, getting out into the field and having conversations with people one-on-one and having a conversation in, in front of with people's projects. And we're just kind of highlighting some projects. And we're just kind of diving headfirst into um, into some wonderful content and training. So hope you're having yourself a wonderful time listening to the podcast. You know, please, I would be truly honored if you could share this out. That's, uh, you know what, I don't advertise, I mean, I don't put out ads to get people to come to the podcast. Um, everything in this podcast that I put out is 100% value from the tips from the mortgage brokers to um, timely economic updates to wonderful economic development people to different areas to invest. Everything from getting started to growing and scaling a portfolio. Now, talking about growing and scaling a portfolio, I have a wonderful opportunity to share with you uh, a, a conversation I had a couple years ago now. Now, I, I say that because I know Dominic Mandato, who you're going to be introduced to here very shortly. We talked a little bit about his portfolio at that time, and, and it's grown and scaled, and it's it's significantly larger than what we shared in this original episode. Now, quick little story before we um, talk more about this episode. So one of my goals for this podcast is to make it relatable. Make it relatable for everybody. Make it relatable from whether you're buying your first place. Maybe, heck, you haven't even made a mortgage application. You don't even know, you know, how to, to fill out the documentation to go to talk to a mortgage broker for your first mortgage application to writing your first offer. I, I pride myself in making extremely relatable. 
And then on the other side of the coin, I want to have it extremely aspirational. I, ch I challenge myself to make it relatable that everybody can understand. And also on the same side, I want to give a thread to make it extremely inspirational and aspirational and something that you can aspire to at the same time. This is one of those episodes where it's going to be both relatable and aspirational. Now, on the surface, if many of you are sitting there going, well, geez, building out a REIT, a real estate investment trust, man, that's so far advanced from where I am, Russ, man, what are you talking about? Stick with me, stick with the next couple episodes. Now, here, here's the, I'm going to share this with you. This, this point came very clear to me just recently about have to be intentional to make sure that the podcast is relatable when you're talking about aspirations and you're talking about big goals and giant and growing and scaling. I was watching a Grant Cardone video. Now, love him or hate him, Grant, he's he's a very entertaining. Let's put it this way. You either love him or hate him. There's usually nowhere in between with Grant, which is what he wants to have and which is by design. Okay. Now, Grant Cardone was having this episode, and I think it was, oh, it was, it was Grant Cardone was on the Rich Dad podcast with Robert and Kim Kiyosaki. And they were having this wonderful conversation, and Grant was talking about, oh, yeah, well, you just go out and buy a 300-unit apartment building, and or you go buy a 500-unit apartment building, and you just go, you know, on your first deal, you should just go big or go home, you know, Grant's typical way, you know, look at my airplane, and I'm flying on this jets and all this kind of stuff, you know, go big or go home, and this type of, you know, bravado attitude. Now, 100%, I agree, go big or go home, but at the same time, some people with just hearing that, go buy a 300-unit apartment building or go buy a 500-unit apartment building. It's so not relatable to what the majority of the people are, are um, where people are at, okay? So that's one of the things I wanted to share with you before we dive into this one. This one has a, this episode with Dominic Mandata over the next two episodes. There is an extremely aspirational tone to it how to build a REIT, a real estate investment trust, okay? But at the same time, Dominic and I go very intentionally into talking about his first properties, how he started in buying a duplex, and I believe it was in Montreal, a few of his first places that he bought, and then just the process of one step after another to get to a point to building out and scaling his portfolio by building out a REIT, a real estate investment trust. So you will get a lot of information, whether you're just getting started or you are taking this business up to the next level. Like I said, it's going to be in two parts. This first part will come out on the regular Tuesday, and I probably will release the second part of the episode same week that it comes out. So it'll probably come in on Friday, and I have a little uh, special message I want to cut in there as well. A little, um, a little extra Friday fire for you. I haven't done one of those for a while, so I'll, maybe I'll, I'll deliver that in that episode as well because it'll be the second part's a little shorter than the first one. Anyways, enough being said. Let's just cut right to it. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome to the podcast, Mr. Dominic Mandato. All right, let's get after it, everybody. Russell Westwood, Dominic Mandato. Hey, Russell. How are you doing, my brother? Real good, real good. Great well, to see you. Before we get into the deep end of the pool here, the most important thing, most important question I'm going to ask you: How's the family? 
the family's great, you know, growing. Uh, finally, uh, we have our first child going to university. So can't believe we're there already, but everyone else is doing real good, truly blessed. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, Dominic, the most important thing, as much as you've accomplished in anything in your life, Family's number one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. It's a big part of our, yeah. our life. And, uh, you know, we grew up with a tight family and now we have our own. And so it's, yeah, it's real yeah. good. Five boys? Five boys. Five boys yeah. and you? And six, you're the sixth boy? My wife always says she has six boys to look after. Right? <laughs> it's so. Teresa, right? Uh, no, Rosa. 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 Saint Rosa. Yes, yes, we, that's we've right. dubbed her having that many boys in the household. Yeah, she is a saint. She's yes. a saint having to deal with us. Yes. <laughs> well... That's what you find out why you're doing a lot of this stuff is you do it for a family. And, and that's the reason why you get up early in the morning and work hard and then you take the time off and, and you, you, do, you do all this hard work. Now, just for context for everybody watching this, we are in downtown, just off Doff downtown Calgary. Yeah. Um, the Bow River is not too far away. And here's the really cool thing is the building that we're in. Your company owns this whole building. That's right. Do you yeah. not? So yeah. what, is this, what is this building? This is the York. We bought this. It's a mid-rise in downtown Calgary, and uh, we bought it in 2011. Um, and we bought it with, um, you know, at the time, it was one of the more expensive buildings that we bought. Uh, but we were looking to transform the entire building. We've renovated, we spent a lot of money on mm -hmm. it, and we just changed the entire profile of the tenants. Yeah. And so, so it's done really well for us. We're actually considering selling it because yeah. we've, we've made, uh, we made a little bit of money on it. And how, so how are you as a tenant? To yourself. Well, are you, you going to be kicked out soon? Or? Yeah, I'm going to kick myself out, right? And so, and it's funny because we are in the rental business, yeah. and um, we did have our own office and on Glenmore, and uh, you know, and I always said, you know, as much as I'm, I we're, we we rent our buildings, uh, I just didn't, couldn't find myself paying uh, rent to someone else. So we said, yeah. you know, the next time we'll buy a building, we'll, yeah. we'll move into it. Yeah. And so the plan was actually just to stay here for a couple of years, mm -hmm. you know, see the the project and the renovations go through and then and then move into an, another building. But um, actually that time is coming here soon because right. we're, we've got an accepted offer on another building here in, in Calgary. And so there's a good chance we're going to be moving there. So this is the, if you will, the Invest Plus World Empire headquarters to start <laughs> with, right? Yeah? They're making it sound really big. <laughs> if you look at the size of this office, it actually doesn't look that big as world headquarters. Well, but, but if, yes. you're, if you're mindful of the cost, you actually want to have the smallest office. It, it's, it's a great deal for Invest Plus to be in here, right? Yeah. So it's, and, and it's worked out really well. I mean, yeah. as you know, it doesn't take a, a massive amount of people to, to run a, you know, a real estate business. Um, and so this, this works really well for yeah. us, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into, you know, some serious raising capital conversations because, you know, I'll be honest, you and, you know, like a Thomas Beyer, a Brian Pullis, there was a few people that I actually extremely um, owe a lot of gratitude towards mm -hmm. for, for the, just the sheer inspiration, just the wealth of knowledge and what you guys have done. It, it's, and, and I know where you've started and where you came from. And uh, holy moly, it's come a long way. You probably have to pinch yourself every once in a while, too, yeah. for things. Um, but I just wanted to, as a starting point, just offer some thank you to, to just, uh, just, you know, the best way to put it is you've, you've kicked ass. Right. As a starting point. Right? Well, I appreciate that, Russell. Yeah. So I, I don't feel that way. It's yeah. just, just another business owner. Yeah. But, but I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. So some of the people might not have heard of Dominic Mandato. You know, as, as, as 
strange as that may sound, <laughs> <laughs> but, and I honestly think everybody yeah. should know Dominic and mm-hmm. because of just what you have done, but let's just take a, a step, a couple steps back and let's maybe set some context about, you know, where you started and maybe where you got your first place and, and, uh, and then maybe we'll, we'll take it right to where you are now and what's next for you now. Mm-hmm. So where'd you get to start? I think uh, a lot of it came from, um, you know, just you know, you mentioned family before and, um, you know, for men, you know, and, and boys growing up, there's something that happens when you're in your twenties and you realize saying, you know what, I think I got to make myself, I got to do something with yeah. my life. I've got a family now. Um, we had a son on the way, our first son on the way. And so that kind of inspires you as a man to, you know, to go out there and, and do something with your life. Yes. And, and hopefully, you know, grow it to a point where you can not only raise a family, but also have a good life and have some of the great things in life. Yeah. And so for us, it all started uh, when we lived in, uh, in Burnaby. We had uh, moved to Burnaby from Montreal in, in 98. And it really only started in 99 where it started right. live. Home so you've been an investor since the turn of the century. Oh, just just before. That's right. Just before the turn of the century. That's right. And it's uh, and, and 1999 was uh, was our first two properties, our, our home and a condo up in Edmonton, which we still own today. So and and, and that's how it, it simply started. And, and the truth is, it was the first realization that I could buy real estate without my own money because uh, we just went basically pure, purely on credit. And uh, we had a bank who actually loaned us the funds to buy our first property. Yeah. So, so I bet you're, you're wishing you kept that one place in Burnaby too, if you found a way to keep that. Uh, you bet you, you <laughs> bet I, yeah, I what would. You, what yeah. would you have bought, bought it for at that time? So this was 99 and yeah. I bought it for $300,000. Yeah, all right, probably 1.3 million. But $300,000 to give you some perspective in Montreal, what about your mansion? What about your yeah. massive house? Yeah. And so I was almost embarrassed to tell my family that I bought this home because it required so much work but it was on capitol hills facing the city facing the inlet and so it was you know from a from a viewpoint it was fantastic yeah i'm I'm flipping a condo in new west and it's 520 for a two-bedroom condo (laughs) so real quick uh, so we bought it for 300 we spent about 60,000 on it and then when we moved from burnaby to calgary in 2003 um and it's it's funny the, the house you know, sat on 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 this uh, on the top of the hill, but it had the 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 the, um, uh, the bedroom master bedroom had this massive um, um, uh, hot tub. Yes, right. But the way it was constructed after renovating the house, I just didn't have the confidence that this hot tub would sustain the weight of any water, and so I never filled it up. <laughs> and so when I decided to sell it. Uh, I decided to sell it simply because if I rent this thing, what's the first thing that tenant's going to do? Oh, they're going to fill the hot tub. They're going to fill the hot tub and find themselves in the basement. And so I just didn't want that headache and I decided to sell it. So we we spent $300,000. Uh, we spent another 60000 to renovate it. And then we ended up selling it for 400000 So this was 2003. And by 2004, 2005, that house was worth at least a million dollars. Yeah. Right. And it's probably worth two and a half now. Yeah, it'd be at least that. I know yeah. uh, my... My wife's parents sold a place not too far from there, land value only, yeah. and it was 1.3, type yeah. thing, just land. Right, and right. They, knocked, they were potentially going to knock the house yeah, down. So, yeah, yeah, So you, you uh, moved to Calgary, 
And that's when you got a little bit serious when you moved to Calgary. Was was this your full-time gig at that time or what were you it, doing? It, it's still, I know I was still working for a company at the time. Um, by the time we moved to Calgary, um, it, it was only then where we incorporated Invest Plus. Yeah. Up until that point, we had bought some houses and duplexes across the country. But only when we moved to Calgary was really when the transition to yeah. multifamily and some commercial came about. Um, so talking about that first house and we sold it for 400,000, you know, some people will look at that and say, okay, well, you know what? I could have made $2 million, all that. But at the same time, it got me to where I, I am, Absolutely. right? And, and those decisions. And so when we sold that, it allowed us to buy um, a, an even nicer home here. Yeah. And we had some cash in, to, to, to buy something else. And so in 2003, we had moved to, to Calgary and uh, I had just joined uh, the Real Estate Investment Network yeah. in, in, in June. That's a so, wonderful organization. That's right. I highly recommend if anyone is not a RAIN member, you should be one. And, yeah. it, and it was then where uh, two or three meetings in, I realized I'm at the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And so having experienced real estate and what it's done for us yeah. up to that point made me realize, okay, this is this is it. This is my, mm-hmm. my opportunity now. So we sold everything outside of Alberta. And and start and bought our first multifamily yeah. in um, in Edmonton. Well, you had some holdings still in Montreal, before, like until yeah. that point. Until that point, yeah. And the, and the regie was a little bit tough to deal with. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. The regie was uh, was a was, was a bit of a nightmare, and in yeah. fact, it was one of the reasons why we ended up selling because yeah. uh, we you know you, you just you just can't. You can't make money in, in, in real estate there, at least not within a short period of time, unless you're looking at super long term. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, cash flow is is OK. But if you have some massive you know, capital expenditure, if yeah. you've got a roof like we had to do, um, you know, just to get that money back would have taken us at least 15 to 20 years. Yeah. But uh, we did buy right, and and the market was improving. And so when our property manager, who happened to be my partner as well, yeah. decided, you know what, I, I don't want to manage anymore, we decided to sell it. We still did right. okay. So so then you doubled down. Essentially, you cashed all the chips in elsewhere, and you doubled down into the Alberta marketplace. 100%. Your yeah. first place was Edmonton. Where's your, where's your target markets? My target market back then would have been Edmonton and Calgary. We looked in Calgary, and the price point was about 15 20% higher than Edmonton. And there were two reasons why we went up to Edmonton. One is, well, I only had a limited amount of money. And Mm -hmm. so it would just buy me a bigger building up in Edmonton. And two, you know, given where all the long-term work was going to be with all of these projects that were taking place, it just made a lot more sense for me to, to buy yeah. in Edmonton. Yeah. And that was, those are really the two. two yeah, reasons. your money just went a little bit further. Right? It did. From there. It did. It did. Yeah. So that was 2002, 2003? 2003, 2004. 2003, 2004. Okay. And then fast forward. So you started acquiring more real estate at that time. How many, how many properties would you have bought, say, up until, say you know, 2010 at that time. Right. So actually right up until about 2008, we had about 90 doors yeah. and it wasn't really until then when I started to go full time. <laughs> right. right? So, so you had 90 doors and you were still part time. It's still a hobby. It's still a hobby at that <laughs> yeah. point. That's right. And, but it, it, it did start to have its challenges with managing yes. the portfolio and, uh, and, and work. And so, yeah. So in, in, in 2000, in August of 2008 is when, uh, when I went full time, 
And uh, in September of 2008 is when the world came to an end with the financial crisis. Right? Yeah, I had another story with somebody who just said, yeah, we just got our, we just got an accepted unconditional offer. The next day, Lehman Brothers went down. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so that's, that's, a, that's a good shock, right, yeah. to the system. But, you know, it's, it's those moments mm-hmm. that, you know, if you're able to sustain that, mm-hmm. um, sure, you'll get a little bit more gray hair yep. and there are some sleepless nights. But it's, it, I, you know, those moments really build you as a character because, yeah. you, you know, if you can get through that, you can get through just about anything. So right. you know that there's a solution to every problem so long as if you haven't dug yourself in so far deep that you can't get out of yeah. it. And, and even then, there's always a way out. There's yeah. always a way out. Well, that's what I love about you is that you will find a solution for every problem as opposed to pro- finding a problem for every solution. Right, right. <laughs> you, know, you can do that easily, right? It's, it's a lot easier yeah. to say, you know what, I give up. So right. now we're going to date this interview in 2018. So from 2010 to 2018, you you just keep growing and keep refining your systems and doing some different capital raising, which we're going to get to a lot of that as well. So what what happened during say that eight year time frame for you? So so this is when when it became full time. Um, I really had to make a decision because you know once you get to about 90 doors, you you you, you know. A couple of things come to mind is, okay, well, what do I do with this? Do I continue buying one building a year or two mm-hmm. buildings a year? Or do I actually make this out of a business in yeah. terms of raising capital and, and and really grow? Because up until that point, I've raised most of my capital within friends and family. Yes. And and you're able to do that without you know infringing on security rules and things like that. But at after that point, um, you know, I figured if I'm going to grow this because multifamily and commercial buildings require a huge amount of capital, yes. I would have, you know, I needed help to raise capital. And right. so from 2008 right till about 2014, um, you know, we raised about $15 million. We bought about $50 million in assets and, and, and apartments and commercial buildings. Yes. And and then and then in 2014, we decided that we had all of these several companies, um, each managing from three to six buildings in each yep. different corporations, and it became a bit of an administrative nightmare. Right, right, a little so, bit of a cluster. Right, so it allowed us to grow, which was great, but then it just became uh, an administrative nightmare, and so. Uh, with the approval of our investors, we decided to take all of those assets and roll them into a real estate trust. Yeah, a, a REIT. A REIT. Yes. Yeah, a real estate investment trust. And so, and so we did that from uh, at the end of 2015, and we've had the trust now for almost three years. Now. Okay. Yeah. So to your two two numbers, and and it's okay if you don't know the exact number because it's it's quite funny sometimes investors don't know the exact number. What is the ballpark number of uh, asset valuation in dollars and maybe units and then also maybe ballpark number of amount of capital that you guys have raised in your best estimates. So as of today or as of... Sure, as of right now. Yeah. So as of right now, we have about $35 million in assets. Yep. Uh, and this is just the real estate trust. There yeah. are some other holdings and joint ventures that we have as well, but yeah. not including those. About the REIT itself is about thirty-five million. 
uh, over the course of the last, you know, I'd say where the bulk of our, our money had been re, uh, raised between 2008 and 2014 is about is about 15 million, 15, 15 million dollars. And the reason I ask is during this interview series, it's I'm actually we're kind of roughly calculating it. It's it's now surpassed 100 million in capital mm-hmm. raise. It's called the 100 million plus club. Right. 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 So so thank you for contributing in a big way to That's that right. as well. That's right. Um, so but but here's the message is you, you truly just started with friends and family and buying a single a few single family units mm-hmm. along the way and and just started one property one step at a time that's right and, and that's really you know you, you go to your closest friends the yeah. ones that you, you you think they have money but also are probably going to be the ones who um, are going to invest with you because yeah. they know you they trust you mm-hmm. um, and and we'll learn later on yeah. in terms of fundraising that is the the one hurdle probably the first hurdle you have to get yeah. over is you know, does that person have your trust? No and trust. Well, yeah. that actually is a perfect segue to the first question. A lot of people, when I have a conversation with them, they almost have a fear around talking to other people about money. Right. Right. Um, I don't know if you ever had that fear or, or obviously you've gotten over it or maybe you still haven't gotten over mm. it. It's, it's 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 one of those things. If I was sitting here going, you know, Dominic, I'm scared to go talk to family and friends about money mm-hmm. and the raising of capital. What, what advice would you give to me? I don't know if I, you know, if I, it all depends on how that conversation starts off. Yeah. I mean, if you come out saying, hey, let's talk about money. Or let's give me talk money. About, give me money. Let's now. talk about real estate and how I can make you a ton of money. Yeah. And then, yeah, you're going to scare that person away. Yeah. Um, but you can simply, you know, just like we started this conversation, really didn't talk about money until like right now. So yeah. it's, you gotta, you know, you gotta find a way to segue into that conversation. Right. But ultimately we know one thing's for sure is that the majority of people want a good lifestyle, right? Yes. They want to be able to be in a position where they can focus on what they do and what they love to do and have someone else look after some investments and things like that. We all do, either whether it be a financial advisor, whether it be you know a real estate investor like you and I. Um, but they want a better lifestyle, and so you know, focus on that. Um, usually, my conversations don't start off that way. Uh, I mean, sure, now um, you know people come to our home, uh, you know, they'll, they'll they'll see what we have and things like that. So they already, if they don't know me, they'll recognize. Okay, there's been some success at some point. Right. For you to be in this position so you know if there's any curiosity there it'll come out naturally yeah. but before that even happens you know there's there's so many things that you can draw upon mm-hmm. to get that conversation going to the point where now you have somebody who's yeah. interested in it like just as you know for teaching aside you know just a little bit of a teaching moment if you weren't invested in real estate and just from this conversation that we've had already, you know, I know that your family is the most important to you. You've got five boys and yeah. one boy's going into university. Yeah. If you weren't investing in real estate, maybe you had a job. You know, my conversations, man, university would probably cost a lot of money. Oh, yeah. that, yeah. And you probably got ambitions for all of them to go. What's your plan, Dominic? That's right. Right. And that's, and that's, a, that's a perfect that's a perfect way to start a conversation, yeah. right? Well, it's not, I'm curious. Yeah. I'm, I'm just genuinely curious. Well, I mean, for, for from my standpoint, we started saving money for our ESPs a yeah. long time ago. So yeah. I was fortunate to be able to do that. But um, what I've learned, too, and also using our ESPs, they haven't really provided the returns that I <laughs> had hoped. Return of capital, maybe. maybe. The return of capital, yes. <laughs> and that's, that's where we're at, really. And so, you know, and I'm looking at that, I'm looking at that portfolio and I'm, you know, asking, maybe I should have put this all in real estate, but 
um, you know, you got to diversify a little bit. And so, so that's, that's how we did it. We've done, we put some RESPs aside, uh, but we only did that for the first couple of children. After right. that, uh, we, we decided that there's, there's some uh, better places to put it. Right. right. So. so your first foray in was family and friends. And how did you structure your first deals? Was it just pretty, pretty straightforward 50-50s, joint venture? How did you, was, or was it even less sophistication than that? Is we're family, we're friends, let's trust you, forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, you, you know what? I think, um, you know, we talk about trust again. And I think with your family members and friends is where you you almost have to establish another level of trust. Right. Because if you depend simply on, hey, we're buddies, just trust me and stuff yeah. like that, it's, uh, you're probably not going to be as successful. So my first investor was my father and yep. my dad. And he was one of my toughest. I thought it was this was going to be a, sl- a slam dunk. And, yeah. and he was my, my toughest investor, almost to the point where it was time to remove conditions and he still hadn't given me an answer, right? right. So uh, I, I remember this like, like yesterday. But... You know, it was a teaching moment to me in that no matter what, um, you, know, you know, my dad was always loved me and, and, and my other family members who also invested as well, uh, they, you know, they would trust me. But there's one thing that, you know, my wife has always said, it says, look, don't feel guilty taking money from your family members if you know that no matter what the situation, you're going to find a way. Mm-hmm. pay them back right right and and she knew that just just in in the person who i was mm-hmm. i knew that as well and so just on that basis alone you know i i wasn't fearing taking money from them but at the same time i had an obligation yeah. and so well if you know think about it you're, you're not taking anything you are actually putting it to work and getting them a return Right. Something they probably weren't doing on their own already. You're, you're right. right. And really what spurred me to, to, to have them invest with me was not even so much. Well, I'd say absolutely for me, I wanted to get into the business. But a big part of it, too, was, you know, I looked at what my parents had saved up. And, you know, they're still the mindset, that mm-hmm. generation still the mindset that the government's going to look after me. Right. And and when you look at this, so this was, you know, 2004, so we're looking at 14 years ago, my dad was just about to go into retirement, mm-hmm. right? So they hadn't really, you know, the had time an experience. Yeah, the right? time but, of life, they're probably not one to take a jump bunch of risk. Oh, <laughs> that, that too, right? But they did have some money put aside. Yeah. And so, it, it, I mean, the long story short is that we made made money for our uh, for, for them. And, yeah. and, they're, and actually, we did really well back then. Mm-hmm. And, and there's nothing better than to go back to your family members or your friends or really anyone that who's invested with you, who's put their trust in you to go back and yeah. say, thank you for investing with me. Yeah. Here's your return. And another interview with the person, the, the way they put it was, you know, I have an obligation to help my family first. Yeah. And, and yeah. everybody's family is different. It's a different dynamic always. But I think you come from the same thing as your obligation is the family. It, it, exactly right. So, you know, our family is in Montreal. Mm-hmm. We're over here. Now, my siblings are there helping my, yeah. my, my parents in whatever way of capacity they can. And for me to, that allows me to help them from a financial yeah. standpoint. Well, now I've kind of figured out my purpose yeah. with not being there and saying, okay, well, at least I can help them financially, yeah. right? How was that presentation to dad? What was it? Was it a formal, you know, PowerPoint slide presentation or what was it? No, I didn't give him a PowerPoint at all. It was just a conversation. Um, it, you know, so I happened to be in Montreal and I had that conversation face to face. And, 
you know, over a glass of wine. And I said, look, you, you need to see what's going on. And here's, here's what's going on. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I didn't put a formal presentation, but I did have some articles, yeah. uh, but my dad's Italian, right? I mean, he reads, but you know, he, he might, might take him 30 minutes to get through a paragraph. Right. right. So, so a lot of that had a lot really of wine. A lot, a lot of wine, a lot more wine. Yeah. And so a, a lot of it had to do with, um, you know what, I came prepared because really the real estate, network, uh, real estate investment network really helped me, you know, position it. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you hear all the statistics and, yeah. and, you know, and, you, and when you add all of those economical fundamentals together, you'd say, well, there's only one thing that can happen here yeah. is that values are going to go up. Now, yeah. we didn't anticipate, you know, what, 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 what they did do, what they did do, <laughs> yeah. but we did, we did know it was going to go up yeah. and so um and and the big part of that too you know the, what made it a little easier for them as well is that i was putting also money into right. the deal as well right, right. Fantastic. so yes. you talked about a 50 50 deal that was a 65 35 deal yeah. because not only was i fu- yeah, found a deal i put the deal together but i was coming up with half of the money as right. well yeah and so in any deal uh, even today, is that if I'm I'm going to put money into the deal, yeah. I'm looking for a minimum of fifty percent, maybe yeah. more than that as well. Right. right. So, but to an investor, many investors like the idea of you putting some money in as mm-hmm. well because now you have skin in the game, and it doesn't have to be the same amount as yeah. them. It just has to be some money. Nice. Right? Well, that's actually going to be the next line of questioning that we're going to get to. I'm just going to quickly reset the cameras here. So I'm here with Dominic Mandato. We're just we're just dipping our toe into the into the into the pool here and we can't wait to the next segment so i'll be right back hey gang we'll just jump right back into the episode very shortly dahlia barsoom with streetwise mortgages is back with a financing tip helping you overcome the dreaded financing wall take it away dahlia today's episode i would like to share with you some of the common misconceptions about financing today we discuss the financing wall The financing wall refers to a situation where the lender you are applying for a mortgage with declines your deal, cuts down the loan amount, or asks that you put a higher down payment into the deal. Hitting the financing wall with one lender does not mean that you will hit it with all other lenders on the street. Lenders generally look at the following variables for a mortgage approval, including your personal income, rental income from your portfolio, your credit, down payment sources, portfolio size, whether you own the property in your personal or corporate name, net worth, and the property you are financing, including its zoning and condition. Although all lenders pretty much account for the same variables, they run the numbers differently. Therefore, if you hit the financing wall with one lender, it is worth exploring other options through a mortgage broker, not by shopping the deal yourself. Because as a client, you just see the tip of the iceberg, which is the interest rate that is being marketed. You don't really get to see how the lenders run the numbers beneath the surface. So if you are concerned about hitting the financing wall or if your deal has gotten declined or you have received financing terms that you are not happy with, myself and my team would be happy to assist. We have helped many clients qualify when they thought they hit the wall and we have helped many clients acquire many more properties when they thought they can only get two or three. 
Contact one of our senior advisors at Streetwise Mortgages at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Cheers to your success. All right, and we're back. So here with Dominic Mandato, we've uh, we've actually just started tickling through the weeds of getting there. You, you've, uh, uh, you know, family and family was the first, friends, you've got your first multifamily under your belt. Um, the next line of questioning I want to have is, um, when did you start doing the, uh, what I would call the foray into public money? And we're going to take a line of questioning around the whole realm of public money. Things that I think there's an awful lot of things that are going on out there right now. There's actually, I think there's, I don't know if people are, are malicious or they're just, I just think some people don't know what they're doing. Right. And I'm, you know, one of the things I want to do with this is to help, help you know, educate, but also protect at the mm-hmm. same time. I don't mm-hmm. want anybody to step on a landmine that will, you know, could put you out of business for a long time. Right, right. right? Absolutely. Yeah. So when did you start going into the, what you would consider the public realm of raising capital? So up until 2008, it was family and friends. And then you soon exhausted and that. And we exhausted that. And then the other option was, okay, we're going to go out to the general public now. Yeah. Recognize that in 2008, um, the the world was changing from a fundraising standpoint yeah. because up until that point, you can put on a public seminar and raise money from anyone. Yeah, and 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 that unfortunately resulted in a lot of companies going belly up. Um, you know, not not explaining to investors. There was not enough disclosure to the investors. There was a lot of money being raised in Ponzi schemes and things like that. So there was no real control per se in terms of of raising capital. So um, we 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 just started getting into that, uh, and and it wasn't until really 2009 where the Alberta Securities Commission came out with a new set of rules on how to raise capital, which required us to start raising money through third-party companies. Right. And so, so, and it's funny because the partner who I was working with at the time, we struggled a little bit through that whole process. Number one, it was 2008. And yeah. so, of course, the financial crisis. Uh, number two, um, we only had a limited amount of success because the euphoria of raising capital yeah. happened all in 2006 and 2007. Right. And so with the help of actually a person who we had never uh, thought of, um, he's, a, he's, a, he's an old friend, um, Philip McKernan. Oh, I don't know if yeah, you remember yes, Philip. And um, just had the conversation with him and he says, what if, what if you just partnered up with a, a financial advisor company or something mm-hmm. like that, right? And it, and it just so happened at the time, this is where the whole business was going to yep. third party companies raising capital they do that for a living and they they have a number of issuers like us um, you know that in different segues or different um, you know businesses in which investors can invest mm-hmm. uh, without being in the public markets and so we were one segment of those they call today exempt market dealers. Right. So you were that was before an exempt market dealer. Really that was, was even there. before that. Yeah. yeah. And then it, it, you know, within a year or two, it became the exempt market. Right. And and so so it just so happened we started developing some relationships with some of these financial companies who were just 
registering themselves mm-hmm. as exempt market dealers. And so we were one of the first right. who started raising money through these third-party companies. Right. So you really just so you outsourced. You outsourced we, capital raising. We did. That, the public capital raising. Because you were probably still doing your own capital raising through the exemptions and that's like right. that as well. That's right. We were doing that. We were putting ads out. We were you know putting on seminars and all that. It became very costly, um, very time-consuming. And we had some limited success, but but not nearly to the extent of when we actually started to partner up with some of the exempt market dealers. Right. So now I, I don't expect you to know all of these terminologies because you're not a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And, and and I don't, like I said, I don't expect you to know that. What are some of, and I, I've had some conversations with people. So what are some of the, the levels of you're working with investors, the exemptions, like things like that? Do you, do you know kind of the flow on that, how that goes? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because you live in this world. So yeah. I imagine you have yeah, a, a working right. knowledge. Yes. So in Alberta or up until uh, I'd say last year, um, basically Manitoba West was under this, uh, this exemption called an eligible investor. Oh, yeah. And an eligible investor is an investor who earns about $75,000 a year. Right. And now when you think about how many people earn that kind of money, there's, that's a pretty big market, yes. right? Uh, whereas uh, Ontario and Quebec, you have to be an accredited investor. Right. Now, accredited investor requires you to earn $200,000 or $300,000 with your spouse. Right. Um, that's, that's one part. Uh, if, you, if you don't earn that, you should have a, a million dollars in liquid assets to mm-hmm. invest domestically. Uh, and if you don't have that, $5 million invested internationally, but liquid um, it would also constitute you as an accredited investor. There's also an exemption that if you invest $150,000, you know, makes you an accredited investor too. Yeah, which that's I, why you see a lot of people say minimum investment one hundred and fifty thousand. That's right. right. Which is, I, I, I don't know. An, an accredited investor is is, and again, I'm not a lawyer. Yes, yeah, so we don't even play means, one on TV. That's right. So, no, yeah, I'm, not, so. I'm not a lawyer, but but at the same time, uh, you know, the the idea or the premise of an accredited investor is that if they have money, or at least the the sums of money that we just talked about, um, it is assumed that that person will ask the right questions, Mm -hmm. will will know what questions to ask, and and inform themselves before making a decision. Whereas, you know, perhaps a person who doesn't have that, that knowledge may not. And so, Manitoba West, you have the eligible investor. However, you have to, the only way you can raise money is you have to create this document called an offering memorandum or an OM. Right. Which is usually a minimum of 60 to 70 pages. And it can go up to about 200 to 300 pages if you Mm -hmm. want, depending on the amount of financials and information. But it discloses absolutely everything of what you're going to, what you've done, where you're going, and what's going to happen in terms of the money that's going to be invested. And so the investor knows everything. But even to a certain extent, I mean, it's a document that discloses, which is great, Mm -hmm. but it's so heavily you know, um, legalized yeah. that maybe some investors don't understand right. what, the, what they're getting into or it's just so lengthy that. So that aside, an accredited investor doesn't require an OM. So if you right. want to raise money through accredited investors, you are not required to have an OM. So because they're under the accredited investor. OK, exemption. so that's just with the eligible investors, that's just right. with the eligible investors. Okay. However, you can. You, of course, if you have an OM mm-hmm. and you have an accredited investor, 
give them the OM. Right. Why not? Right. Right. I mean, so. typically an offering memorandum, it's, it's you know, I, I, the joke was, how do you get an offer memorandum done? You pull out your checkbook. Right. <laughs> right. Pull out your checkbook and talk to a good lawyer. Well, and that's, <laughs> you know what, and, and I've had some people who have gone into the business and even before getting into the business have came to me and have come to me and asked, you know, I, I'd like to do the same thing what you're doing. Um, and, and, you know, how do I do that? Well, the first thing is the checkbook. You yeah. do, you know, an OM will cost you sixty to $100,000 yeah. just to get started. Yeah. It's a big right. cost of entry. Absolutely. Very co- big cost of entry. And now you have to also get on to, a, you know, uh, a, an exempt market dealer shelf, right? You right. have to convince them to sell your product or to raise money for and it. And then that could cost you anywhere, of, you know, a percentage of... They would take maybe a five percent fee on every dollar. That's raised. low. Yeah, That's low, yeah. But yes. if, you're, if you're lucky. Actually, there's a usually an upfront fee which yeah. they have to do their due diligence on you, right? And that can range from five thousand to ten thousand to as high as even fifteen thousand. Um, and then, and that doesn't guarantee you. You can be on the shelf. That doesn't still doesn't guarantee you to raise money. But now it's up to the agents and the uh, and the people that work for them to raise money for you. Yeah. Well, now how are you going to incentivize them? And the way you incentivize them is through commissions. Yeah, and, and that's people on com- people that sell for a living. Uh, the more money they can make, that's what they want to push. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that and that can range from five percent to I've seen as high as 13 percent. Right. Now, um, one quick question before we move past this: um, the eligible investor has that st- has that number changed? Is it still seventy five thousand? It, it still is, but what's recently changed is now is the amount that that person can invest. So um, recently, Alberta changed their rules to reflect the same as in Ontario, and this is only in Alberta and Ontario, whereby you can, if you have an investor and has a uh, an exempt market dealing representative, mm-hmm. if you're working with a dealing representative, your maximum allowable investable dollars into one issuer. So I'm, I'm an issuer. So mm-hmm. one issuer would be $100,000. Right. If a, the dealing representative is not working with you, then the maximum, let's say, because I can raise money directly because I'm an officer of the company. Yep. So that's one exemption that I can raise money. I don't have to use. Okay. But however, that's also limited as well. I, I can't be looked to see that I'm raising money and that's all I'm doing. I need a third party company. But if I have one investor, for instance, right. out of, you know, I don't know, 20 or 30 investors and I raise, I'm allowed to do that. In that case, the investor can only invest $30,000 per year. Oh, so, okay. so what that has done, unfortunately, it has reduced the amount of investable mm-hmm. dollars into private companies. Well. well, so suffice it to say, this whole taking raising capital into the public market—it's it's an entirely new game. It's it's yeah. not it's not your you know it's not uh, you know just family and friends and wing it to, on That's wing right. it a prayer That's and right. just figure it out as you go. You, you know this is serious. Like, no, this no, is serious it, is, it is. It's it's very serious. And um, and 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 I'll, truthfully, um, the only part of my business that I've always been concerned about mm-hmm. is the raising money, right? Because yeah. now you have other people raising money for you. You have to ensure some way that, or you can only hope that the people who are talking about your company are explaining things to them in a way so that you, they're not saying like guaranteed investments right. or things like that, because that stuff is going to get you in trouble, yeah. right? So that, you know, you can only hope for that because that's going to get you in trouble with the Securities Commission and you don't want to be on that side either, right? So 
that's been the only part of my business that really kept me up at night. Not so much the real estate, but the fundraising side. Right. Well, yeah, it's just it's just one more level of scrutiny and it one is. more level of governance yeah. and one more level of anytime you have any governing bodies overseeing and protecting the consumer, yeah. you know, it just adds a lot more cost, time, and all that kind of wonderful stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. absolutely. So, to, so to just kind of summarize this, and hopefully I'm getting this right. So once you start going into public outside of family and friends, you know, talking about um, eligible investors is typically the first and then accredited investors. That's right. And typically after that, you have the offering memorandum type thing, but you typically need an offering memorandum to support the other two levels. Correct. And then is there, and then the next level after that would be is kind of where you're at now is like the REIT level type things. That's well, even at the REIT level, yeah. you still have those different levels as well, right? Right. So whether it's an LP or corporation or anything like that, essentially. Oh, so REIT is just a structure. It's just a structure, just a okay. corporate structure. That's all it is. Okay. So a corporate, you know, if I can give it the levels, you know, we, we started with corporations yep. and then we had limited partnerships. Yeah. And now we have a real estate trust. So it's just they're just different corporate entities at the end of the day if you're raising money it doesn't matter what you're raising it for whether it be a corporation limited partnership or a REIT you still have those same guidelines yeah. to raise now money. in order to do it properly the public you, you have to have probably you can't be just going out raising 150 200 even a half a million bucks you probably right. got to be into the three four five million even just to make it economic sense that's correct yeah yeah you want to be raising at least well, I mean, I've already explained the cost of that, right? Yeah. Because also now when you're getting to a REIT level two, you, or even as, as a limited partnership, you have to audit your financials. Mm -hmm. So that's an added cost to your financials as well. Now, when we talked about, you know, putting an OM together, that's the cost just for the OM. Right. The OM requires financials of your corporation of the year, the fiscal year before that. Yeah. That has to be audited. So, so you're you're not getting notice. You know, NTRs or notice to review. Uh, you're getting you're getting audited financials. So that's an added cost to that. Yeah, so. I've heard the term um, subscription documents or yes. is that is that all wrapped within this or is that a, something a little bit different? Is that a, a different kind of thing? It's mainly when you're. From what I understand, it's mainly when you're working just with the accredited investors, you can put together a subscription. No, document. actually, it's um, it, it's it forms part of the OM. So oh, okay. the OM has a number of documents, has about another ten or fifteen pages attached to it, and you subscribe. So essentially, right. you 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 got a document that explains everything, and then if you're interested, you subscribe. You 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 fill in your right. your name, your address, everything. I want to subscribe X amount of units. To, to this okay. investment and and, uh, and then, yeah, and then you submit that. So bottom line for all of this, it is deep, it's big. It's It took you eight years to get to that point of getting to that. Um, highly recommend a good lawyer, a good accountant. Do yes. you have a good lawyer that somebody maybe in Calgary can I, talk I to? I have several lawyers, <laughs> several lawyers. Several lawyers. <laughs> that there's, there's really a, like you? Yeah, they really <laughs> like me. And, and, and you know, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of people that, that you know, if you're just wanting to get into the business, I would highly recommend someone like Craig Bentham, for instance. Craig Bentham, is he Craig, in Calgary here? He's in Calgary, yeah. yeah capital, no, it's not capital law, mission law. Okay. And uh, and Craig, um, I mean, he's been doing this for, for a very, very long time. Right. Um, I believe Olympia Trust has a group okay. that also does those documents as well. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not entirely sure. I think they have their limitations and, and they actually hire Craig Bentham. Right. To help them with that. So there's a there's a close tie between Craig Bentham and, and hmm. uh, Olympia Trust. So, but then also we've had some other lawyers who've done it as well. Yeah. Um, but 
But at the level that, um, you know, that we're talking about, um, if somebody's considering about going into something like that, someone like, um, you know, mission wise, probably. Right. Now, I've often had this as a thought as I'm doing these interviews and people keep asking me questions. I wonder if and I'm just throwing this out as a guy who's, you know, the process you've been through it might be even a, an opera business opportunity as a consultant to help people to go for a consulting process before they actually go to the lawyer. Yeah. Here's, here's the, you know, you can, we can split, the, right. we can split that business later. That's right. That's here's, right. here's the 10 things you need to have prepared before you start paying $700. And, an hour. and you know what? That's a yeah. great point because since, since I've started, there's been so many different segments of the business yeah. that has improved. That's one of those businesses. There are now individuals who have a business yeah. and they're, total purpose in life is to ensure that your offering memorandum yeah. uh, is, 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 is put in such a way that is looked, you know, positively in the mm. eyes of the exempt market dealers, right. which is a huge benefit because there's nothing worse because you go to a lawyer and you mm -hmm. say, okay, well, here's what I do is I buy apartment buildings and I want to raise, you know, $10 million. Right. He'll go out and, and put something together in this little box but then you go out to the exempt market yeah. dealers and say, hey, I've got a product that I want to sell. Here's here's my OM. And they look at it and they say, well, wait a second. You don't have this in your OM. You don't have this in your OM. You're, well, wait a You know, no one's told me. So there are groups out there. There's a couple of companies that are out there that, uh, you know, for, for a fee will yeah. look at your OM and say, OK, well, I know that this exempt market dealer, you know, likes this in the OM, this other. And it's usually... Uh, you know, it's not it's not very specific to the exempt yeah. market dealers, but it's it's whatever. If it's going to benefit one, it'll likely benefit others as well. And right. it's gold to me. Right? Yeah. I mean, you might spend a little bit more, especially at the very beginning. But it's I think it's, it's is this something you do as well as a business model? You no, know, not, not yet. No, no, we, we <laughs> have it because we have the relationships with yeah. those exempt market yeah. dealers. So yeah. before we right. actually finalize the OM, we'll go to those to those yeah. dealerships and say, hey, have a look at our draft. Tell us what you think. Mm -hmm. And if there's anything we need to change before we finalize this. We'll well, I find it the I. Ironic thing of all this is you as the issuer have to pay to get all this documentation put together. And then you also have to pay for the exempt market dealer to raise the capital. And then you still have to sell the, you know what, out of them in order to actually put the top of mind for them. So, so yes, so it's almost as much work it is. to have to do all that. So yeah. you might want to just be either the lawyer or the exempt market dealer where they have no risk. They don't own it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and you know what? A lot of times I, you know, I complain about, you know, sometimes I'm in the business mm -hmm. to support these other businesses, right? right? Like accountants and lawyers. So yes, there, are, there, 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 there is that side of business, but that's why it's almost important for you. Maybe as a first step is that what doesn't cost you so much money is you, you have an idea, you have a product. Um, and we're talking about real estate here, but go to the, some of those exempt market yeah. dealers first mm -hmm. and say, Here's here's what I do, and here's what I want to raise money for, and here's yeah. why I think we're going to be successful. Right. And and what does it cost for you to put a PowerPoint presentation? Nothing. Yeah. But if it gets them to the point, you're saying, you know what, I'm interested, and if you put an OM together, well, there's a good chance that we're going to carry right. you. Then then at least do some of that soft selling first yeah. before you go out and spend all this money. Yeah. Right? And for those of you that are watching the interviews here, I, I had an interview with Justin Smith, who's in, who's just starting his own uh, Hawkeye Wealth. He's oh, okay. his own yeah. exam market. So that's what uh, he would be, someone like that. So killer tip of before you just get proof of concept, yeah. just get somebody to buy into that. So what would be some of your best tips on presenting your 
opportunities to those people that are going to represent you? You know, ultimately, it, it, it comes down to who, who's going to end up selling your, your, your product. And so if you have the relationships with some of the, the sellers that are out there. Yes. So if there's a way that you can connect with some of those sellers yeah. and, and, and buy them a coffee and say, okay, what is it that you like? What are your top three products? What do you like about them? Yeah. Right. And tell me why you like them. Yeah. It might be a high commission rate. It might be that they have a good income product uh, income as in they pay a distribution out to their investors. It could be, you know, they only have real estate in Alberta. Maybe that's what he likes. Right. Who knows? Right. So all of those questions, you know, if you're able to answer those questions and, you know, if Russell, if you're a salesperson and you're telling me all of these things and say, okay, what if I had a product that did exactly that? You know, would you sell it? And the answer would be yes. Okay, well, great. Now I need about another half a dozen of individuals mm -hmm. who will have the same response to that. Yeah. So I can go to the dealing, the exam market dealer owner and mm -hmm. say, I've spoken to this person, this person, this person. Yeah. They're all interested. Um, I wouldn't start with that, but I'd say, I've got an ad, I've got a product. Here's what I'm doing. And by the way, I've also spoken to these individuals mm -hmm. who are really interested in selling it. Right. Because now you've made it easier also for them because ultimately they, while they own the relation, the, not the relationship, but the decision to carry you, they also now, you know, they're not going to spend all this time if they don't know if their dealing representatives are actually going to sell it. Right. So. Um, now I'll take it to another level. I mean, you know, we're talking about exempt market dealers, but if you take it to another level, which is sort of the IROC level, and the IROC level is, you know, um, what say, does IROC mean? Sorry, IROC is oh, geez, I'm, as, as soon as I said it, he's going to gonna ask as me as opposed to a high-end Camaro. <laughs> right, right. That's exactly what I thought. Right. So. Um, I, I will have to get you the exact, no, no worries, the exact uh, yeah. name for that uh, for that acronym, but it's um, it's 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 at a it's, it's almost at a bank level. Okay, okay. Uh, institutional. It's institutional. institutional. That's exactly what right. it is. Okay. It's institutional, but they still call it retail. So okay. uh, whereas exempt market dealers are also considered retail, there's IROC firms that are more institutional than retail, but they they kind of cover the whole gamut. But they're a little bit more sophisticated with respect to. Uh, with fundraising because they're governed, they have their own governance okay. uh, with respect to how they raise money and, and, and how it's done. It's a lot more sophisticated than an exempt market dealer. Remember, the exempt market dealer is only about six, seven years old, maybe eight years old, whereas the IROC, is, IROC has been around for a long time. Right. And okay. so there's another great example where, you know, if you want to get on an IROC channel, the first thing they tell you, in fact, they're, they're, they're even more efficient. They'd say, you know what, before coming to us, mm -hmm. why don't you see if you can get a few tickets, as they call it, right. tickets. And tickets meaning getting some, some investors to invest or some um, uh, commitments from right. advisors saying, you know what, yes, I put $250,000 or I put $5 million into that. Right. right? Okay. And so that way, then I come to you, okay, Russell, you're the owner of the IROC firm. I said, I've got Jim, i got Bill, and, not, and you know, together we're going to raise about $5 million. They've committed about $5 million onto this. And so at that point, they say, okay, great. Give us the offer memorandum. Give us all that. So we're going to take a look to make sure it you know meets all our checklists, yeah. and then we're on the shelf. Right. Right. So once it's on the shelf, it's it's up to the exempt market dealer to bore the cost and the marketing expense. And in theory, they should have a list of people already potentially built in that they can just reach out to. In theory, they they yeah. they have their own people to sell. Yeah. However, the marketing costs. 
Oh, you have to borrow the marketing costs. Too. Marketing costs on me. Oh. So, so we have to borrow. The, and and sometimes there's a, you know, there's a, you you can arrange it so that they cover some of those costs yeah. with you as well. But generally, the issuer covers the marketing costs. Okay. Now, again, you can get on the shelf, but everyone will tell you and say, okay, now that you're on the shelf. Mm-hmm. This is great, but we're just not going to sell it. The work just starts now. The work just starts. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to sell itself. So yeah. now you have to meet with every single representative yeah. and you know, pitch them the story and then, and then maintain that relationship, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, it's, and it's constant communication, just like you would do to your investors. Yeah. It's constant communication to the advisors to let them know, here's what's going on. Here's what's taking place since yeah. the last time we spoke so that they know that, okay, there's something happening here. There's some progress. And as they get more comfortable, you know, that process can take anywhere from six months to even two years right. before you'll see someone who's been cold at the beginning and then starts to invest with you. So in, in essence, you've just essentially have, you know, without having to take the cost to hire, uh, which you do have all the costs, um, you just put almost like a sales force in place and you just are managing five or six people as opposed to managing 200 That's investors. Exactly what it is. Yes. But I imagine you're still at the same time, you're still building your own investor database and, yep. and all those kind of wonderful we things are, at the same time. We are, however, Russell is... is but I guess you don't want to cut, you don't want to be the competition to your exact market deal. Right? That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. So, and and you know what? And maybe I don't want to be the, con- the, yeah. the competitor either because then they own the relationship with the investors. And so the investor gets to call them and you're not inundated. So that, you know, if you inform all of those dealers and advisors uh, on a continual basis, well, they'll have that information. So when their investors does call, they've got the information. So we're not getting as many calls as we would normally would right. if we had all of these investors call us directly. Um, right. Well, I told you guys this was going to be a little bit more of an advanced conversation. And, and we need to have these advanced conversations sure. uh, because, you know, there are so many people in this program that are aspiring to more. And here's a guy who's gone through it. Now, um, before I do forget, Dominic, um, please let people know um, your company name and maybe a website. And if, if anyone had would like to get interested and see what you're about, where would they get a hold of you? Well, they go to investplusreit.com and there's, there's all of our information there. Just click on the investor tab and the investor tab takes on to our investor uh, website, which there's a yeah. presentation there. There's a, there's a, a quick uh, flow chart or um, a green sheet, as we call it, that has a two-page summary of our company yeah. and the offering. And all yeah, that. and so, that was just on there. Just um, a credit with credit due. That's a very high-quality website that you oh, have together. You. So thank I know you. I know it has a lot of your fingerprints on it because yeah. just when you put when you do something, you do it well. So, yeah, well, yeah. I appreciate that. And we, you know, again, it's all about getting the right information to to our, our clients and our potential clients. Right. right. So. so I'm going to just uh, reset the cameras one more time here quickly. Um, here with Dominic Nandato, we got one more segment. We're going to get into just a, a little bit of the last one I want to get into maybe just some um, list building like how mm-hmm. do you build the list are you still building list yourself I want to get into some uh, mistakes that you think people are making in the marketplace right now and then I want to find out what's next for you absolutely that so okay. we're right back So what did you think of this episode? Nick, did, did we did we hit our intention? Did we hit what we are trying to do is make it very relatable and make it inspirational and aspirational 
all at the same time. Like, I just love how Dominic just keeps it real. I just love how he, we, we shared the story about some of his first transactions, some of the ones in, in the challenges and the troubles and the trials and the tribulations each and every one of us face, you will face. Even people that are building a giant real estate investment trust face those same challenges. So here's the thing, gang. We're all in this boat together. We're in this boat together as a community. We're in this boat together as people that want to help others. We're in this boat together to be good people. Just be good humans. Like there's an old saying from Saskatchewan, where I'm from, is use good people. (laughs) And that's what I'm going to share with you is I believe each and every one of you on this podcast use good people. If you wouldn't be, you know, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast, 120 some episodes, 126 episodes, 127 episodes deep, if you weren't a good person at the same time. So if you can do me a huge favor, I would appreciate if you could just share the show, share the episode. If you're at a networking event, if you're um, on social media, and somebody's just looking for a little bit of uh, inspiration, a little aspiration, and something 100% relatable that everybody can accomplish, share my podcast. I would be truly honored if you could do that. And while you're at it, if you could leave a review and a rating would be extremely um, valuable as well to help share the message and get this incredible message out to a wider audience. Okay, gang, I'm going to keep this um, outro tight because the next episode will be coming in the same week. Uh, It'll be the follow-up conversation to this episode with Dominic Mandato. Okay, gang, remember, in every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now. Bye for now.